This is Corolla Digital. Adam Corolla here with an important message. We've worked the body, and the troll is against the ropes. The patent troll has thrown everything he's had at us, and we're still standing tall. We're going to wrap this thing up with a big haymaker. By clicking the Amazon banner on this show's website, we'll get a little kickback from every purchase you make, and it'll go directly to the Podcast Defense Fund. So whether it's school supplies or radar detector, we're going to get a little bit to deal the final blow and knock them out. So spend away, and thanks to everyone for your support. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison, from Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with this week's guest, Matt Bronger. Matt, why should they listen this week? Mm, because we talk about hard-hitting topics like relationships and comedy and uh, why people just don't play and get along. Also, rashes. Subscribe to Allison Rosen is your new best friend on iTunes or go to AllisonRosen.com. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I love you. Allison's your new best friend. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves writing letters... Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And that orchestra still gets better every week. It makes me happy. I've said that before. I've said that every week. But it's true every week. It's very hot today here in Glendale in all of Southern California. It's not killer hot. You don't want to kill yourself or someone else. But it's very hot. And when you get to the studio, you suddenly say... This feels better, and when you prepare for the show, that feels better. And then when you hear that music, boy, I'll tell you, I hope it still makes you happy. makes me very happy every week. And, of course, that's the Stephen E. Yates Orchestra and the Jody Lampert Dancers, featuring boy tenor Jim Gagne asking the musical question, Why do generals park in private parking, but privates park in general parking? Well, that's a heck of a question, but let's just go back for a second. Jody Lampert is a friend of mine, and she wrote us a great note on the Facebook at LarryMillerPodcast.com. And uh, we and she and I communicate uh, on email. She's a great writer and uh, writes, for instance, all the time for the Huffington Post. But uh, she and I were line mates when the Writers Guild was having a strike against pretty much everyone, I think. But that was a few years ago, and uh, we had a great time yakking every day, and it was about a month I was on that line in front of uh, one of the studios. It's funny because you know a lot of the executives going in and out because their kids play with yours in Little League, and I like them a lot. And, it's of course, it's a little odd to say, hi, how you doing, when you're walking in an oval holding a sign. But you know what? You know, I had a great time. So this is a, a fond hello, as it will always be. And uh, 
Stephen E. Yates, who was conducting the orchestra today, I brought a book in that he wrote called Getting My First Hug, which is the uh, the title underneath says, A Father's Story of His Son's Triumph Over Autism. Now, he hasn't asked me to do this, but I'm reading his book, and I thought it would be nice to come on and plug it to you to say, you know what, folks, it's... Uh, it's a great story to read. He writes it really well and about the, this amazing little boy who overcame every obstacle in his path, it says on the back, and the family who never quit believing in him and trying to help. And following the inspiring story through the eyes of a father who never expected to go on such an odyssey and give him the hug he always wanted... I'm just telling you because, you know what, I think it's on Amazon. I think it ought to be in every bookstore in the world. It's called Getting My First Hug by Stephen E. Yates, Y-A-T-E-S. And you know what, you'd be doing yourself and him a good favor if you go out and get a couple of these and give one away and start reading one yourself. So... I'm happy to say that, and I'm going to take that book back and keep reading it myself. Can you imagine reading myself? But, uh, boy, that brings us right back into boy tenor Jim Gagney's question. Why do generals park in private parking, but privates park in general parking? Number one, that's witty. It's clever. It's nice to turn words around like that. And I think he did it well. And the, the, the question is, to me anyway, number one, isn't it good news that the, both the generals and the privates and everyone in between have cars? Isn't that good news? I mean, and I mean that seriously. Wouldn't we think, hey, I guess they're doing all right. So corporals and sergeants do too, and colonels and majors do too, and they can park in general parking, I guess. But the general, why do the generals park in private parking, but privates park in general parking? You know what? I think the answer, Jim, I think the answer to that is they park there because that seems about right. That seems the way it ought to go. That if there's a private parking area for generals, I have no problem saying, well, they worked hard. They did the right job, and they made it to general. They got up there. They went all the way to general, which is the top of the line, and they deserve a private parking. I'm fine with private parking. In fact, I hope they each get nice TVs, too. I hope in their on-camp housing, if that's what it is, that it's not going to be some kind of giant mansion or something, but I hope for they for them and their wives and kids, they get a really nice home. And if I heard that, I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't feel bad. Some people would feel bad saying, wow, why do they get something fancy and no one else does? Well, I'm fine with that. If they get something fancy, I would think, well, he's the general. That's why. She's the general. That's why. They get something fancy. And I'm okay with that. I think we should all be happy with that, getting something fancy for people who really achieve something fancy themselves. 
So I'm okay with that part. And why do the privates park in general parking? I'm okay with that too. You know what? I've never been a gigantic one for where is my parking space when you're in a movie or a TV show and you drive on the studio lot. You know what? Every so often, well, you get uh, you park off in uh, in Siberia somewhere, but that's okay. I don't mind that. And other times, well, I've been in a couple of movies where the nice people there on the set there and uh, all the production people are terrific. And in fact, if they like you enough, a couple of times they gave me one of the star's trailers on the days when he or she wasn't in, wasn't working that day. And these are pretty nice trailers. In fact, they're very nice. And it was nice of them to give it to me for a couple of days here and a couple of days there. And yes, they have big fancy TVs in there. And they have big cable systems. You can you can put on any channel in the world. And I thought it was very sweet that they gave it to me. And I would go go there and, oh, it was nice. And you can turn on the TV and watch anything in the world you want. I normally wouldn't do that because, well, you're at work. You know, you might want to study the script or rewrite things that you're doing. And... Yet, you know what? After just a couple of days, I remember there was one, I don't even want to say the name of the movie because it's, it would be embarrassing. I don't want people to get in trouble for saying, wait, you gave Miller my trailer when I wasn't there? And uh, and I would go there early. It turns out there was a couple of days on one of these movies where I would get there early, even when I was didn't have to be there till 3 in the afternoon for a call time. I would get there after I took the kids to school. So I would go to the set at 8 or 8.30, go to my gigantic, big, star-isn't-working-today trailer, and really hang out in there. Go get breakfast and bring it back to the trailer. Or go get breakfast and sit there with everybody else in the movie and have them say to you, how's that big trailer? But I would watch. Well, the truth is there's no other way to say this except to say it. I would watch the Playboy Channel. This one trailer had the Playboy Channel. I've never seen the Playboy Channel before. And I'll tell you two things you can pro- that really won't surprise you. One, it's not that good. And two, people get naked. So right there, that's the average thing that's going to keep a guy watching. If he knows that I'm really not sure I need to watch this interview with her. But she is, after all, naked. And that's pretty good right there. Even if past 30 seconds or a minute, you say, ah, you know, I don't need to see her naked anymore. You can still leave it on while you're reading your script. In any case, though, boy, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I never cared when people got nice things. And I hope they do. And I hope you and I get a zillion nice things. That's true. You know, the next part in a movie or a TV show for me if my agent tells me, plus, I got you a gigantic trailer with everything in it and people juggling outside the door like a circus just waiting for you to show up, well, that would be okay. So to Jim Gagney, who asked the musical question, why do generals park in private parking but privates park in general parking? Because that's the way it goes, and that's okay with me. I am not outraged that either one can't park with the other one. I'm not outraged that one has to salute the other. I'm okay with that. 
And that brings us to and now <laughs> Amazon. That's right. Our favorite sponsors, Amazon and PayPal. And I'll tell you why they're favorite. For Amazon, still the greatest company in the world. You order whatever you want. They send you whatever you order. And they send us a percentage of whatever it is you order. So everybody's happy there. You get what you like. You get whatever you imagined. They get what they send you everything, and they make dough doing it. That's their business. And then they send us money, which we put away for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner out here with Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris and me and our fancy, our first and only fried chicken dinner uh, started out in a bar where we had a couple of drinks and just a couple because we're not out of our minds. We just wanted to go to, well, a bar, a regular bar bar that Colonel Jeff knew about. You took us there. And we had uh, two drinks there, I think. And uh, they were the size of basketballs. I mean, they were big drinks. But then we went to our fancy fried chicken dinner, and that's what we're going to do here. So thank you, Amazon. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. PayPal is still a great company. Boy, I'll tell you, it's like helping the world in in charity. And that's a good way to think of it. And... A good way you can help us, by the way, is which, after all, is a great thing to do. Go to your favorite bar. This is my favorite thing to say. The bar you like. Go there at 2 or 3 in the afternoon when no one's there. No one's at the bar. No one's sitting having something to eat. No one's there. You walk up to the bar, and he's got his foot up on the speed rack, and he's reading the paper. And when he smiles and says, what can I do for you? You say, how much do you charge for a drink? And when he tells you, multiply that by three and send it here to us. And that's one drink for the colonel, one drink for the doctor, and one for me. And yes, that will also go into our fancy fried chicken dinner fund. Which brings us to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. I love jokes, you love jokes, and I love the jokes that you can pass on. It's not the ones I write for myself, for my act. It's not the ones my friends write for their acts. But we all love jokes. You like jokes, too. Classic, hey, two guys walk into a bar kind of joke. And if you like it enough, you can tell a friend. And uh, here's one Colonel Jeff and I saw on the Internet today. I hope you like it. A loving married couple is celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. Oh, that's nice. I think that's a nice start. And they're celebrating privately at home, by the way. That's good, too. So they didn't feel moved to invite a bunch of friends over or to go out and meet a bunch of friends someplace. Just the two of them at home. And he brought home a couple of bottles of champagne. And that's nice, too. So far, this is a nice joke. I'll tell you that right now. And they got to feeling a little giggly and a little tipsy and a little intimate, and they were just laughing with each other. And uh, then the husband turned to his wife and asks her, So tell me truthfully, have you ever been unfaithful to me in 25 years? And she looks at him for a second and says, Well, since you ask, uh, to tell you the truth... 
I have been unfaithful on three occasions. And he doesn't know exactly how to react. He said, what? What? How could you? Tell me about these. And she said, well, the first time was back when we were first married. You needed open heart surgery and we didn't have the money. So I went to bed with the surgeon and got him to operate for free. And the husband pauses for a second and says, well, gee, that I ought to be mad, I guess, but I, I don't feel mad. That was actually very noble of you in, in, in a way. So I, I guess I should be grateful. And uh, all right, well, so, that's, so, that's, so that's one. You did it three times. And tell me about the second time. And she says, well, do you remember when you wanted that loan to start your business? Well, I went to bed with the president of the bank so he would give you the money. And again, the husband says, well, uh, I, I, gee, I don't know what to say. I think I would have gotten the loan any, anyway, but I got, again, I, I, I guess I should be grateful. All right. Okay, so well, that was two. All right, so what about the third time? And she says, well, do you remember two years ago when you wanted to become president of your country club and you were missing 53 votes? <laughs> That's... That made me and the colonel laugh. Wow, so she's not that generous after all, it turns out. that It's a little different. Well, so she saved his life with the heart operation, and, well, and uh, she helped him start his business by getting him a loan, but, but this one, 53 votes, 53 guys. Hey, wait a minute, and that wasn't one night. What a thought. In any case, that was the joke of the week, and I hope you liked it, and I hope you tell all your friends or family and anyone you think would like it. And by the way, if you have a great joke, please send it to us on our website. That is a no kidding around request, because well, we get some good jokes from uh, from comedy uh, comedy companies on the on the internet there. But if you have one and you hear one and you say to a friend, "Do you have any jokes you know?" and you hear one, you like it. Please send it to us on our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com, which, as you know, is followed by Who's on the Mountain, Tom Mix. But please do send us a joke like that. And that brings us to the Poetry Corner. Yes, the Corner of Poetry. It's a wonderful form of poetry. It's as wonderful as jokes are in their way. Poetry is such a great way to look at life. And if the poet is good, poet is great over the centuries what a great way to look at anything he or she decides to show you and this one is called life's tragedy by paul lawrence dunbar and uh, he was one of those guys by the way he was born in uh, 1876 and he's american and he got tuberculosis at a very young age and wound up dying at 33 in 1906. But along the way, folks, just interesting, this guy was so successful, and he married a woman who was also a very successful poet, and he got to know, and they knew together, so many people in the United States and in Europe, but, I mean, the highest caliber people, they were friends with... Well, Frederick Douglass, uh, and uh, 
it just goes on and on, a list of people that was in his Internet biography where you think, holy mackerel, this was quite a guy. And uh, then you see what he got sick and died, and you think, wow, poor fella. But this one is called Life's Tragedy, and here's the way he looks at it. It may be misery not to sing at all and to go silent through the brimming day. It may be misery never to be loved, but deeper griefs than these beset the way. To sing the perfect song and by a half-tone lost the key, there the potent sorrow, there the grief, the pale, sad staring of life's tragedy, to have come near to the perfect love, not the hot passion of untempered youth, but that which lies aside its vanity and gives for thy trusting worship truth. This, this indeed, is to be accursed, for if we mortals love, or if we sing, we count our joys not by what we have, but by what kept us from that perfect thing. Well, I think that's a lovely poem. And the colonel and I were chatting about it, by the way, before the show. And uh, you know what, though? I don't quite agree, and he didn't quite uh, agree either. There are people who go through life, and all they think about is what kept them from something they wanted. They don't think about the wonderful things in life that are so simple that if you just look at it the right way, this morning I got up and everyone was still sleeping, and I, well, I took the dog outside, out back, where he pees, and I smile at the sun and say, and thank you for bringing me back for another day. And you know what? Just those two things, when I see him pee, I think this is great. I love going out with him out back, and he loves going out with me out back there. And it sounds just simple and uninteresting, but it's not. The simple things are the most interesting. And then I stroll out to the front through the gate, and I get the paper, and I come back in the back, and he's sniffing around the way he should. And he's looking at the lizard, watching the lizard, you know, go this way and that. They're little tiny lizards. They're not gigantic 10-foot lizards, by the way. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the Adams family. But you know what? These simple things, and then to walk back to the sun, hey, come here, boy, come here, and he comes back to the, to the back door, and you go back inside. Folks, that's the most wonderful day you can have. And those are the things that a poet should write about. Well, in a way, it's happening now. I'm talking about it. And it's the, it's the simple things in life that are the most valuable. So thank you, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, for life's tragedy. And I know what he means, and it's a beautiful poem. But I think the real tragedies in life are not to see how wonderful the simple things are. And that brings us to the third favorite part of the show for me. And they're all favorites because they're all things that mean a lot. The Triple M, the magic movie moment. 
And this is for a movie you love that you've seen 10 or 20 or 30 times, or even one you just saw for the first time. And if it has a part in that movie that you love every time you see it, a special scene or the way it's written or the way an actor is really coming forth through this character, it's something you really like a lot. And this one means a lot to me. I just saw it yesterday on one of the old movie channels. It's, oh, it's just terrific. From 1964, The Pink Panther, directed and uh, written by Blake Edwards. Boy, he's great in everything he does. And what a cast. Uh, Peter Sellers, David Niven, Capuchin, and Robert Wagner, Claudia Cardinale, the great singer Fran Jeffries, and I want to talk about all these things and then tell you what moment in it, what scene in it, what part of it became and has always been and always will be a magic movie moment for me. First of all, if you haven't seen The Pink Panther, you have to see it. It's just about as good as any movie has ever been. It's sweet, it's affectionate, it has... Love found and lost and found again in it. It has great comedy in it. Boy, oh boy. And this is one of those movies where you read about it and you find out that David Niven was cast, of course, as the star and Peter Sellers was uh, cast as, well, another star in the movie. But Peter Sellers, that was the time when he began whatever he says, any way he moves or looks. What a great presence he is on the screen. What a great star and comedy star he was. And you know what? David Niven was such a classy and sophisticated and worldly star and actor, he didn't get upset when uh, people started to say, you know, Sellers is stealing every scene. His feeling was, good, terrific. That's good for me and good for the movie. And Niven was always great in every part he did, and in this one he's terrific. And he plays Robert Wagner's uncle, and he's a great jewel thief. And it's one of those funny things that Colonel and I were saying before. It's from that era, that the start of the James Bond era in our minds, all our minds, where you start to think, well, they're they're criminals, but, well, that's kind of cool. You don't mind that, well, they're stealing things. They're not stealing from you, and they're not stealing from me, but it's a great movie. There isn't one moment, and Capuchin, I think they pronounce it Capucine, but uh, I always grew up, my uh, mother pronounced it Capuchin. She was a gorgeous model in, in all of Europe and all the world, and she was cast as, the, uh, as Peter Sellers' wife, who's also in love with it. Well, I'm not even going to spoil things by telling you about this, but I'm here to say, folks, she is so great in this movie, and I mean... Not just because she's gorgeous and she knows how to carry herself in a beautiful way. I'm telling you, she's a fabulous actress. She hit every moment, and she was with Peter Sellers. She was as funny as he was. She was a perfect partner. And I'm telling you, there wasn't a moment last night with any of these actors, with any of these moments, where I just didn't. Laugh. I actually laughed out loud. Howled, as they say, three, four times. And the rest of the time, you have a giant smile just chiseled on your face. Blake 
Edwards knows how to be funny and tell a story. The first time you see Peter Sellers in this movie, he's uh, they, you think they're looking for the woman who's a criminal, and he's in his office, and there's one of his uh, subordinates is in there, and you just see Sellers, and he's thinking, and he's really taking command, and Sellers has a, a giant globe in there, and he spins it. It's one of those things that in very sophisticated European movies that they always have in the office, and he spins it and spins it. It's a very big globe. It's about three feet in diameter. It's on the floor, and he says to his assistant, we must find that woman. And as it's spinning, he puts his hand on it, and it throws him right to the floor. The spin of the globe just puts him right on the floor. He vanishes out of the frame. There's two seconds or so of just dead silence, and then he just gets up instantly, just flips himself up and says to his subordinate, just says out of nowhere, what's that? What did you say? Now, this guy is just fun. It's such a funny moment. You could hear that from me or see it in the movie a hundred times and laugh every time. And that's because not only of Peter Sellers doing it, but boy, folks, that's how Blake Edwards knows how to be funny. So... I wanted to tell you what makes this a magic movie for me. It has a magic movie moment, many of them. Not only just the great comedy, but so much. It's all real. It's never too big. It's never too small. It's all so natural and real and so well done. You're happy the whole way through. And at the end, they have a scene where, well, all the crooks and all... The police and everybody are in their costumes from the costume party at the castle. And they leave chasing each other. And they leave in their cars. And they're all, well, one is a Jeep. One is a convertible sports car. They're all nice and small. But they're wearing their their costumes. And so two of them are dressed as gorillas wearing the costume. And one of them has a knight in shining armor suit on, and he's riding with a jester in the Jeep. It's all so natural, and they chase each other, and they go through the town. The town, and it's close to midnight now, and there's no one up in the town. And it starts, the scene starts with, it's dead silent, nothing's going on. It's just midnight in this very quiet Italian village. And an old man who is drunk, is sitting in front of a, a sign in a restaurant that says Trattoria, which means restaurant, I guess, in Italian. But he's sitting there, and it's late enough, he's alone. There's no one in the town, nothing happening. He gets up to leave. He's going home. It's midnight. He's had enough. It's going home. He starts to walk, and he's shuffling across the street. He's an old man, and he's had a bunch to drink. So he's shuffling across the street, and then you hear in the distance this sounds of cars coming. And a car just whizzes past him with one of these gorillas in it, by the way. And whizzes past him and goes shooting behind him. And he looks at it and he gets to the middle of the street. And then another car comes the other way. It's the Jeep with the knight and the jester. And, it goes, and they go shooting the other way. They're all trying to catch each other, find each other, see each other, follow each other. And... It's six, seven, eight cars, different things, all one at a time. And the guy doesn't move 
because he can't move. Number one, there are things every 10 seconds whizzing past him. And then uh, David Niven, as one of the gorillas, pulls up and stops next to Robert Wagner in another car, who is another gorilla, and they start saying, Uncle Charles, did you get to this and you find this the way to go? I don't know where to go. I went up this way. How about this way? No, I went that way too. There's no way out. Or I'll tell you what, you take the high road and I'll go down below there and we'll let each other know where. And they both take off. Now, this old man, at this point, I'm telling you, he he's quietly watching them speak. But what would you think if you were him? And then he just thinks, he blinks for a second, looks in the camera and just turns back around and shuffles his way back through the to the trattoria, back to the restaurant he just left. And as he's walking back, he doesn't turn around. You hear, we hear, we don't even see, but we hear cars. And he goes back to the front of that restaurant where there are tables and chairs. He picks up a wooden chair, turns it around, sits down on it, facing the town square where all these cars are racing. His face is just as calm as could be. And he just sits there. And just in his face, you see the reaction or the non-reaction. You hear, and the cars get louder and louder. And, of course, it grows. It crescendos into a giant crash. All eight cars, and they, bam, they crash. You don't see any of this. But once they all crash, and you hear the voices cackling and talking to each other, and the sound of cars that have been destroyed, then... He gets up again. You haven't seen any of this. You've just been watching him. Now he gets up again for the second time and starts crossing the street again. And that's how we reveal these cars are just piled on top of each other. And now he can walk home. And this is not only, once again, the greatness of Blake Edwards designing that shot and shooting it just the right way, but to add the element in of that old man trying to leave the restaurant, failing, going back, then leaving the restaurant again, to add that element is good comedy. And that's what made that forever. And including, well, the time I saw it last night, a magic movie moment for me. And, you know, this is at a time we got our first letter from our son who joined the Marines and he's at basic training. And at a certain point, they, it's only been a couple of weeks now, but they, they're allowed to write letters. And we got our first letter from him Friday night. My wife came home from work and she said, well, let's just check to see if we got anything because she and I had mailed our letters that day. We each wrote a letter to him, and she took them to work and mailed them from there. And our other son wrote one of his letters, and she mailed that one. And then that night, so without him even getting ours, we got his letter. And, folks, that's something else that means so much. When she came back in to the kitchen and said, we got one. We got a letter from him. Well... The other kid and I were eating our dinner. I had just gotten us a roasted chicken and some baked potatoes I made and uh, some frozen vegetables and just got them from Ralph's, the supermarket, and brought them home and 
set them up. We were about halfway through when my wife got home from work. So we stopped, of course, and we're listening to her as she was reading the letter out loud. And that is another one of those moments, folks, that was as sweet and special as it could be to get a letter and hearing him talk about, well, the training is hard and he likes the sergeants, the drill sergeants, but they're, well, they're pretty tough. That's the way they're supposed to be. And I'll tell you what, uh, it was, he he knows he's going to get, he said to me in that letter, he he was thinking about not being at home anymore, the things he likes to do, and he was remembering that he and I used to love, and we still like this, you know, he and I used to love to lay down in the big bed in the master bedroom there, and we would put on the TV show Bar Rescue. Bar Rescue starring John Taffer. You may have seen this show. It's terrific. It's a, it's a, it's about food. It's about John knowing everything about bars, and he goes into bars where he's been called in by them to help them save the bar. They're not making any money, and it's a good show. And and my son and I both like it because this guy John is great. He gets to he can be tough with these people, and we see watching the show how weak they've become. There are some who are stealing things. There are some who don't know how to work anymore. And there are some who don't want to work. John literally whips them into shape like a good Marine sergeant. And at the end, and he redesigns this. He thinks of new names for the bars. And he re, he changes the furniture inside and how they're made with liquor and who makes them. He brings in people who know how to cook. And he said, they'll teach you how to do this. And he brings in people who know all about drinks. They'll teach you how to do this. And at the end, he always, no matter how angry they were, they all buy into the Taffer team, as they should, because he can save them. And he can get them to where they can get that loan back. He gets them to where they can pay off their debts. And at the end... As the bar is redone completely, we love this. We just watch it with our mouths open that they have a hug. He always says as they're on their opening night, he always says to the folks, well, my job is done here now, and we had a bad start, you and I, and we fought, and then you didn't like her, and she didn't like you, and and he just says, but now it's all better because of this and this and that. And they shake hands and they hug. And he walks out of that bar, and I'm telling you folks, it's like Shane at the end. He walks out of that bar, and he almost rides off into the sunset. And that's his job. His job is not to stay there on the reopening of the place. His job is not to eat the food he redesigned. And his job is not to say to them, you know, you're right, this is pretty good food. It's turned around, and you can really make this work. His job is... He did that, he helped them, and now, like Clint Eastwood or Alan Ladd, his job is to ride off into the sunset. And we have really liked that show, my son and I. And then it's also, it has that thing on TV where, as you know, sometimes they play another one, a second show, right after the first one. But they're smart. They never have any commercials. They just go right into it. Even as the credits are going, I don't like when they shrink the credits or speed them up, but even as the credits are going, they shrink them, and another episode starts right away 
above that. And even if you say to yourself, you know what, we've seen enough of this. We don't need to see another one. Hey, where's that one? Hey, that one's in New Orleans. And they just start another one. And it's just as much fun to watch the second one. So my son wrote to me, boy, I'll tell you, I wish we were still just lying around in that bed and could watch John John Taffer in Bar Rescue. And coincidentally, I had mailed my letter to him that morning, and I said more or less the same thing. I said, boy, I'll tell you what, now that uh, dinner's done and, uh, and, uh, and so this has happened and that has happened, I think I'll, well, I'll clean the dish, I'll put them in the dishwasher, go in, wash myself up, and I think I'll put on my pajamas too, and I think I'll just get into the big bed alone there because uh, Mommy went downstairs to uh, do some work in her office, and Aaron is back on the computer playing the video game he likes, which is, I think, called Kill Everyone, and he's happy. The dog is happy because he had little bites of our dinner, and he comes with me into the big bed, and I said, I think I'm going to watch a little bar rescue myself. So uh, that's pretty neat. Again, one of the small things that becomes huge. I said, look at that. He wrote to me about that. And then I wrote to him about it. And it's all about watching Bar Rescue. And I wrote to him, you know what? I'm telling you, pal, I am telling you as sure as you can make anything. One of these days, you and I will be walking through a mall or in a rural area that has a lot of bail bonds places. And we'll see John Taffer saving someone else's bar. And we'll go right up to him and we'll say, you know what? We watch you all the time. And my son missed you when he first joined the Marines. And I said, I bet we'll tell him all that. And so, you know what, folks? There are, there are good stories to tell. These are more about the family than the Marines, which makes them good for the show. And I asked Colonel Jeff that, too. I said, this isn't too much, is it? And he said, no, you know what? As long as it's really about the family and the things you guys do just to get by and, well, what it's like to go get dinner at a supermarket and then have your wife come home and read a letter like that. That's what, well, the show's about a lot of things, but it's certainly about that. I know that, and... You and I both know that Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. So remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's exactly true, still the truest thing I know. We'll see you next week and... Take care.